The father of modern day missions, William Carey, was born August 17, 1761 in England. And as a child, he was raised uh, to patch shoes in a cobbler shop. And it was in his teenage years where he heard the gospel and he repented to follow Jesus and he was truly converted as Christ's follower. And not long after that, he entered into the ministry of preaching. But it took over two years before he was ordained as a pastor. Because as he would preach, the feedback he received was this, that he was a boring preacher. Let me tell you, that's one thing you don't want to hear as a pastor. (laughs) You're boring. In fact, one was so honest. He said, your preaching is as weak and crude as anything ever called a sermon. Thank you for never telling me that. (laughs) Appreciate it. This is what he was told. And, you know, for many young men, if if they were told that, and then they were turned down for ordination because they were boring, many of them would quit. They would be done. But he continued to persevere. He continued to study. In fact, he was very bright, a very bright student. Continued to study the word. And as he was studying the word, they go ye therefore into the world. He looked at that and he said, who is that? referencing. It's not just the disciples that Jesus was talking to in that moment. He says, I am that go ye therefore. And so he went to his young wife and he shared with her that they were going to move to India. Now, if it was in modern day times, he and his wife would go before a missions panel and they would bear testimony of knowing Jesus Christ And then this panel would ask them all types of questions. They would probably take the wife into a separate room and interrogate her and say, are you sure about this? Do you feel called here to to go overseas to India? And if that had been the case, William Carey would have failed because his wife did not want to go. But he did the godly husband thing. And he said, we're going anyway. (laughs) So they got on a boat. And they sailed towards India. Now, uh, William Carey was prematurely balding at a young age, and so he wore a wig for appearance. And it's said that on their way over to India, he took that wig and he threw it into the ocean. And I imagine he did so because as he was going to India, it wasn't about his appearance that he wanted to make known, but it was about the appearance of Jesus Christ. And so he goes and he settles into India he preaches the gospel. And it's not until seven years later that someone hears and believes and repents and follows Christ. Seven years of preaching the gospel. That is not what he had in mind when he was sailing to India, taking his family. He would lose one of his children who died at a young age while they were in India. And throughout the time period, he lost his first wife to death. He lost his second wife to death. And he had a third wife who was there with him. He was able to baptize all three of his wives. He was able to do many amazing things in India. 41 years of ministry. But for the first seven years, silence. Sowing many seeds, but appearing to reap nothing. In that seven years... I can't say that if that were me, that being over there and preaching the gospel and nobody following that I would keep preaching. I would hope that I would empowered by the Holy Spirit to keep sowing, to keep sowing, to keep sowing. William Carey continued forward. He translated the Bible into six languages. The whole Bible. Six languages. I don't know six languages, do you? Know six languages? Six languages, he translated the Bible, and and that wasn't enough. He took portions of the Bible and translated it into 29 other languages through 41 years. He made this statement on his way to India. Expect great things, attempt great things. This is what he did. This is a brief bio of the life of William Carey. I encourage you to read more because 
He played an influential role on our modern day missions, why we do missions, why we go to foreign places and share the gospel, why people would leave a place that's comfortable and go to a place that's not comfortable. So those people can hear the good news because it is impossible for somebody to follow Jesus Christ unless they hear the word of God preached. And here's why I share this bio with you today. Because as we look into this passage here in Galatians chapter six, we're gonna see three things. And I'm gonna ask three questions today as, as our points, but really this is kind of how it summed up the word. Discipline and fellowship. You see, William Carey was about the word, obviously, if he was gonna translate it into six languages and 29 others. And he continued to preach the word, even when he was called boring and the worst sermon I've ever heard. And he keeps preaching and he keeps preaching and he keeps preaching. He was about the word and the ministry of preaching. But not only that, he was about the spiritual disciplines of expecting great things and attempting great things for the glory of God. And we too ought to be about these spiritual disciplines. And he was about the fellowship of believers because why do you think he went to India? Because he wanted to see the church continue to grow. As I preach this message today, maybe God is stirring in your heart the desire for missions, desire to be uprooted from what is comfortable to go to a place that may not be very comfortable but it doesn't matter because what's burning in your heart is that you want people to know Jesus. And that is the point of this passage right here, Galatians chapter six, going back to verse six. And here are three questions that I'm gonna ask. Don't bother trying to write them down right now. Hold on a minute, but here they are. Are you sowing seed of the word? What kind of seed are you sowing with your thoughts and actions? And are you sowing seed of good works among the fellowship of believers. And I believe that covers the three things we said earlier, the word and discipline and fellowship. So let's go back to point number one. Are you sowing seed of the word? Verse six, let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Man, this is a great verse. Cause you know what this means? This means that you guys should be knocking on my door during the week, bringing me mac and cheese. You know what I'm saying? You should be ministering to my heart. We're up here laboring. We're up here sharing the gospel. I mean, you'd be knocking on Will's door, knocking on Joby's door with their favorites, right? Knocking on Clint's door. Hey, I brought your favorite. That's what it means, right? Well, not quite, but we can't abuse this text and it is abused. Uh, Let me just go ahead. I want to say this up front that there have been many pastors who have abused texts like these, who have entered the ministry for only their profit and only their gain. And I wanna say with a pure heart standing before you today, um, that that is not what this verse means. And that is not the motive in which I come to speak before you today and to preach this today. Because as Paul is saying this, we see the value of the word being preached. Let me remind you what has happened. This early church in Galatia has abandoned the gospel because they've gone back to law-based living. They've, they've gone back. Remember, they never really were law-based um, people, but they've now gone in that direction. And it's the same as their heathen life once before. And they've abandoned the preaching of the gospel. They've left some preachers hanging. There's some guys who have been instructed by Paul and they're there to preach the word and people have abandoned them. And so this is what they've been called to do, what they've been set aside to do. And Paul is once again pointing the direction to the preaching of the word. It is a gift. This right here is a gift that we are in this room today that I'm standing before you with Bibles open. It is a gift, the greatest gift that we can have in our salvation in Jesus Christ is that we gather together as a people and we study about him and we preach boldly the name of Jesus. You're gifted today. I am gifted today with the privilege to be in this place and our fellowship centered on the word. And so this word taught is where we get our word catechism from, karateo. And so as they're teaching, they're catechizing. 
They are learning the word. They are being instructed of how they should live for the glory of God. And they should share because they're receiving, because they're being taught by a preacher. They should share good things with the one who teaches. This word share is where we get our word uh, koneneo, where it means to have fellowship. It is the church. So in one way, what does it mean to share? It means to gather together in support. It's to be faithful in our gatherings together. It's when you wake up on Sunday morning and you're going, mm, should I go or should I stay at home? It's been a long week. It's going to be another long week. What should we do? Let this verse right here motivate you and drive you to come to have fellowship around the word, to share in this gospel so that we can say amen together and have this affirmation in our hearts so that when we go live out the week and we have these doubts and these struggles with our flesh, we look back on the word and say amen to what has been preached, to what has been proclaimed for the glory of God. It could be read simply to mean that the student and teacher must go about their task of instruction as full partners together. I love this. The student is not a passive pawn and the teacher is not an imperious dictator. No, we are together in this. I may be standing here and you may be sitting there, but we are together in this gospel. But it also does mean to give of our resources. It means to give financially. And I make no apologies for this because that's why I love preaching through the word. When you come to it, you preach it. And here it is. Why give to the preaching of the gospel? Paul's main concern here is this. Your giving is for the furtherance of the gospel. Plain and simple, back in this day, if they do not support the preacher, if they do not support the pastors who are have set their lives aside to study the word and then to preach it in boldness, then the gospel is not going to be going forth. They didn't have many local churches that they could go to and they could say, you know what? I really didn't enjoy this fellowship here or I really don't like how this church does things over here or you know what? They're really not meeting my needs here. So I'm going to go on the circuit. And let's be honest. I mean, we have a church circuit, okay, in, in Valdosta, okay? You can see people making their rounds, and sometimes there's good reasons for leaving one local church to go to another local church. So don't start arguing with me in your mind. Okay, don't go there. I'm just saying that we naturally have this circuit. They didn't. They had a few churches there which gathered together. And if you were part of this church, you were risking your reputation. You were risking your comforts to be associated with Jesus Christ. You could risk your very own life. And so he's saying, go and support the preaching of the word because this gospel must get out to the world. If it doesn't get out, people die and people go to hell and they're separated from God forever. They need to hear about Jesus. They need to hear about God's love, sending his son to this earth to live among us and dying on a cross for our sins and being buried and raised so that they can have eternal life. They need to hear this. This is the only way that they can be saved of the problem of the sin and death, and separation. And so the greatest method of furthering the gospel is proclamation of the word by faithful teachers. And may I pause for a minute and say, Perimeter Road Baptist Church, you are extremely blessed to have teachers in this building who are gifted. I hear you come up to me and you tell me, you're like, man, when, when you were out of town and the next brother stepped up and preached the gospel, it was solid, it was good. And I say, amen to that. God is doing a good work among us and raising up teachers, raising up pastors. And I challenge you teachers in this room, whether you're teaching a small group or whether you're teaching on Wednesday night of children or students or you're standing up here preaching God's word, keep persevering, keep sowing, even when it doesn't seem like there's much to reap. And so 
The greatest method of furthering the gospel is proclamation of the word by faithful teachers. The pastor is not called to perform or use tricks and gimmicks. He is called to teach the scripture. So you may not think that I preach all the time because I don't raise my voice and stomp my foot and use Southern Baptist slang. Let's be honest. I get it. You know where my heart is on that? Man, there are some guys who preach that way. My heart is to come to the scriptures and teach you the scriptures. I want you to know the word. As I want to know the word. I think that's the heartbeat of our pastors in this place. It's not to put on a show for you. It's to come humbly before you and just to recognize that we have no business standing up here without the grace of God, but by his grace, we can preach his word so that you can hear it and you can grow in Christ Jesus. That's why we're here. Now, you may ask this question. If I study scripture and pray and listen to sermons online throughout the week, why do I need the church? And that's a very good question because I can tell you, I know for a fact, they didn't have the resources then that we have today. Uh, iPhones, for example. They didn't have podcasts. They couldn't call each other or um, text each other and say, hey, what, what's your latest podcast? What, do, what are you listening to? Come on, encourage me with something. Let me have some. And let me just say, we are extremely blessed to have these resources. And I hope you're digging into them. If, if, if you need some pastors, I can give you their names that you can listen to during the week so you can just keep getting more and more and be fed. Amen to that. But it's not for you to distance yourself from the local church, to sit at home and listen to a sermon and have home church because you're not a part of the church when you do that. That is, that is a very selfish way of worship. And here's what you're gonna be tempted to do. Let me just go ahead and tell you, because if this is you, and if you're kind of borderline on this way of worshiping week in and week out, you're gonna to move to self-worship. You're gonna find the people that you like to hear. And if you hear something you don't like to hear, all you have to do is hit stop and go to the next one. And you'll listen to them preach. And then when you don't like what you hear, you hit stop and you move to the next one. There are thousands of resources out there in which you can do this. I wanna encourage you to be very careful for those that you watch on TV and those who do ask you to send in money and things. And, and they are very charismatic. Are they preaching the gospel? There are some, yes. But when you distance yourself, when you isolate yourself and it's just you and somebody that you like to hear preach, it can move to self-worship if you're not careful. And we'll talk more about this when we talk about the fellowship of the church. But let me tell you something. Also, it takes you, church, giving financially so we move forward. <clears throat> can I take this moment to say that you should hear this message and when you walk away from this, this should drive you to look at your family budget. And you say, hold on, you're, you're kind of getting into my business right now. And I am because the word gets into your business. And here it is. It should drive us to look at our family budget. My wife and I this week, we looked at our family budget and we're, we're kind of measuring everything up every single dollar because it's the app we use, every dollar. So we're using every dollar. And as we're looking at it, we're saying, okay, let's make sure that we stay faithful in our giving. And I encourage you with this because when we give financially, we, we have this model of the tithe that we see in the Old Testament. But as we kind of move into the New Testament, what we see champion more is generous giving. And my goodness, when you begin to reflect on the grace of God and him loving you despite what you've done against him, you gain this great appreciation for his church. And you wanna hear the message preached. And you want to be a part of the church in going forth and sharing the gospel. So Perimeter Road, members of this local church, I challenge you, I encourage you, give faithfully. Because this is a gift that we have. Can you imagine not having a church? Can you imagine not meeting openly like this? What if we did not have these things? But not only that, not only imagine if we didn't have it, but what's more valuable to you right now than the preaching of the word and the gathering of the church? Eternally, what's more valuable to you? What are the things you must have that keep you from giving? I mean, that maybe even keep you from giving a dime. 
Notice here, I'm not giving you a dollar amount. What I want you to do is go before the Lord and pray on this matter. Because our giving in, in some ways should hurt because it's reminding us that we're dying to ourselves and living in Christ. And that's what Paul is saying. He's saying, hey, give to the preaching of the word. Rearrange your budget because this is important. This should be a big part of your life, a big part of your life. And it's easy for us to have this attitude of consumerism. And here's the consumerism. You come in, you receive, and then you go. You come in, you receive, and you go. You come in, you receive, and you go. You come in, you receive, and you go. And then finally, when you come in and you receive, and you don't like what you receive, you go for good to the next place. And then you soak up their resources. And then you go to the next place and you soak up their resources. And you go to the next place and you soak up their resources. And you're saying, Brian, you don't sound very kind and compassionate right now. Let me tell you, we, we have the privilege to give. What I want you to hear this morning is that if you're a consumer, and you call yourself a Christ follower and all you're doing is coming to receive and that's it. There's no giving, there's no giving of time and talent. There's no giving of your possessions. There's no sharing in the gospel together. And you're missing it. And as you're missing it, you're missing your growth in Christ Jesus. So let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. 1 Timothy 5, 17 through 18. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain and the laborer deserves his wages. Yes, pastors were just compared to an ox. Yeah. That's flattering there, but it's beautiful because it's not about us. It's not about the superstar pastor. It's not about his personality. It's does he preach the gospel? Does he take the word of God and teach it to you? And does he just keep moving forward in that endeavor? And that's what we're committed to here at Perimeter Road Baptist Church. Listen, you may want more song and dance, but it's the preaching of the word of God that should lead us to singing and dancing. It should. And I know some of you, I see your videos on Facebook. You like to party. You like to celebrate. You like to rejoice. Let it be in the gospel. Let it be in the gospel. Some of you youth are afraid that I saw some of your videos. <laughs> like, did he see that when I posted? No, I don't think so. The next point. What kind of seed are you sowing with your thoughts and deeds? Verse seven and eight. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows that he also will also reap. Verse eight. For the one who sows to his flesh on flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. The one who sows to the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. Now, I just mentioned the youth in and, and, and college. I really want you guys to hone in on this point because the decisions that you make today will affect your tomorrow. And so we, we just listen in extra careful on this one right here. And here it is, this, in verse seven, this word deceived means to cause to wander off the path. Do not be deceived, don't wander off the path. That was the problem here in Galatia. They were wandering off the path. He's saying, hey, don't be deceived. But listen here, if you are deceived, know this, God is not mocked. This word mock means to turn one's nose up at. It means to snicker to snicker at God. God's not mocked. We make a mockery of ourselves when we hear the gospel and we say thanks, but no thanks. Wise living, I don't think so. I wanna be a rebellious teenager. I wanna be my own individual. 
I want to live my life now and later I'll live for Jesus. No, 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 no. Don't want to be captive to Christ Jesus right now. No, I want to be free. You're making mockery of yourself, not God. Because you're in chains, the chains of sin. In verse eight, for the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. This word corruption means to reap a life that is falling apart. It is heartbreaking to know that there are teenagers who have come through our student ministry. And those back in the day when I had the privilege of working with the students week in and week out, that I love dearly to go visit them in rehab. And with tears, they're saying, I wish I would not have done this. I so badly don't want to do this. Then look to the gospel and be free. And what they have to live with is what they're reaping. Because what they sowed early on seemed fun and exciting and romantic and passionate. And now they're reaping these things that they got caught up in the moment with. And they're saying, I don't want to deal with this. Why do I have to deal with this right here? Because that's the seed that you were throwing out and watering. Adults, we deal with this every day. What type of seed are you throwing out? What are you watering? Is it of the flesh? Flesh, the Greek word meaning sarx, is the part of our heart that wants to keep control of our lives by being our own savior and Lord, which resists the gospel of free grace and seeks continually to earn our own righteousness. Is this the type of thoughts and actions that you're a part of, that of the flesh every day? Understand we're going to be tempted with the flesh every day, but you're saying I'm tempted and I'm just going after it. I don't care what they preach. I don't care what they teach. I don't care what I know is best. I want to go with my feelings and your feelings take over because that's heart, that heart we see in Jeremiah 17, nine, that is wicked above all else. And you're saying, you know what? I'm going to let my heart guide me in this. And it's guiding you away from God. That's why we come to the word. But know this, that if you're sowing to the flesh, you will indeed reap according to the flesh. See, what happens sometimes is when we commit sin, we're sorry for that sin, but we don't want to deal with the consequences. In fact, we think that although we've repented and said, I'm sorry, God, and the consequences are still here to our actions, that God in some way is unfair, that we have to deal with the consequences. I said, I'm sorry, God. I repented. Now, why am I still struggling with this? Can I just take this moment to be extremely blunt? Husbands, husbands in the room, if you're unfaithful to your wife, in your mind, and in your heart, which leads you then to be unfaithful in your actions to her. And then you confess your sin and she hears that and she says, I just cannot forgive you so quickly. I am struggling with this. And you're saying, but you're supposed to forgive me. So the Bible says, forgive. But what you're gonna deal with, man, are the consequences to your sin. And I've sat with men, cried with men, hugged men and encouraged men to be patient and to endure the consequences of their sin. It's real. Why? Because they're the ones who scattered the seed and watered. They're the ones who plowed that path. Teenagers, you have friends all around you that could care less about Jesus because they don't know him. And God's put you in some positions to speak boldly in the name of Christ. And it's going to come at a cost and you're going to be labeled a Christ follower, a goody-goody, a holy roller. 
And you're going to begin to measure it up and you're going to say, is it worth it? Is it worth it? I want popularity. I just want to walk down the hallways and people acknowledge me and say my name for once. Or do you want it to be more about the name of Jesus? And I can't put it, I can't put it into you. Will can't put it into you. Every week you're blessed to hear this. College students, every week you're blessed to have teachers that pour this into you. Parents, we can't, you just can't put it in each other to say, look, if you want it to be more about your name than Jesus' name, you're going to pay for it. You're going to reap that. And the harsh reality is we're the ones to blame because we're the ones who scattered the seed. You know what this does? This demolishes that whole argument that if there's a sovereign God, then why does it matter what we do? God is sovereign over all of our sowing. He's still sovereign. But we are called to sow and we will reap. It's a mystery, isn't it? But the Bible affirms both of these. And here's what Tim Keller says, because I want to encourage you. I don't want you to walk out of this place and go, oh my goodness, that thought I had this past week. Oh, I'm going to have a terrible week now. I'm going to reap that. <laughs> and you know what? Maybe some consequences there, but I want you to leave here with hope because the gospel brings us hope, right? Amen. And so Tim Keller says, we will find our own character changing deeply through ministry. Our consciences will be clearer and our hearts happier since we're less self-indulgent. You may think that a life of self-indulgence is freedom, but it's slavery. And when you're freed from the life of self-indulgence, you have a happier heart, a more joyful countenance. And you know what it does? It, you rejoice. You rejoice. You walk out the door and you say this, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. But when you live a life of self-indulgence, it's this, uh, another day, uh, it's Monday. But no, 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 no. When you deny that self-indulgence and you live in Christ, you're going to roll out of your bed tomorrow morning, Lord willing, he gives us a Monday and you're going to say, Lord, thank you for the gift of today and that I can walk in the salvation of Jesus Christ. I'm going to enjoy it. I'm going to enjoy living this day. What a gift. I mean, you're going to walk down the hallway and you're going to look at your friends at school and go, it's a gift, man. What a good day. They're going to, you're crazy. We were given it today. Yeah, we were given it yesterday, but today's not promised. What a day it's going to be. Why? Because you deny yourself and you're, and you're walking in Christ. So what does it look like to sow to the flesh? And what did it look like for these guys? And, and sowing to the flesh this is what John Stott says, just so you'll know that the negative side of this, every time we allow our mind to harbor a grudge, nurse a grievance, entertain an impure fantasy, wallow in self-pity, we are sowing to the flesh. Every time we linger in bad company, there's insidious influence we know we cannot resist. Every time we lie in bed when we ought to be up and praying, every time we read pornographic literature, every time we take a risk that strains our self-control. We are sowing, sowing, sowing to the flesh. And as we sow and sow and sow to the flesh, we will reap unto the flesh. So that's what it looks like to sow into the flesh. What does it look like to sow to the spirit? Well, we go to scripture here in Romans 8, 6, for to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. It's Galatians 5, 16 and 25. It's to walk by the spirit. It's to look to Jesus Christ each day. Colossians 3, 1 and 2. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things that are above, not on the things that are on the earth. My, what a lesson. Because what we know are the things on earth. That's why we're gathered here together. What are the things above? That's what God's word reveals to us. Every day you're in the environment of the world. You're hearing the things of the world. You're hearing the affirmation of the world. You're receiving confirmation from the world. But when you come to the word, it exposes the things of the flesh and teaches you how to walk in the spirit. 
so that as you pray unto the Father, you know that you can pray in peace because of Christ Jesus, not because of something good you've done that day, that an open door is made available to you to go to, to God. No, it's because Christ was good. And then you read your Bible And as you read the Bible, you know that you've been gifted with the Holy Spirit to teach you what the word is saying. And you hear this and as you're reading the word and you're memorizing the word. Yeah, that's right. I said, memorize, memorize the word. And there goes that old wretched excuse of going, I'm just not good at memorizing things. But yet you can tell me every detail about stranger things part two. We're very good at memorizing the things that we grab a hold of, that we love. And you say, but I don't love the Bible. And that brother or sister would be an honest statement that you need to take to God the Father. And as you take that honest statement before God the Father, be ready to see the Spirit work and woo you as you read the Word And as you become excited about the word, the excitement you haven't had in a long time. And as you read the word, you discover the will of God and you begin to live out that will of God each day. You go and you share the gospel and you brag about Jesus. That's the freedom of the gospel that we quit bragging about ourselves and we brag about Jesus. Oh, what freedom it is. And if you haven't discovered that freedom, I pray that you will. It changes how you relate to people. It changes how you lead your family. It changes who you are in private. It changes how you strut around when your ball team's 9-0. Because you know what? It's all right if an upset's around the corner because you're boasting of Jesus. Oh, man, it's good. It's good. John Stott said, holiness is a harvest. Whether we reap it or not depends almost entirely on what we sow. So holiness is a harvest. You're saying, I'm I'm being obedient, but God hasn't given me the things I've asked him. But have you seen your holiness increase? Have you seen your love for Christ Jesus increase? That is reaping holiness. It's not just the material things that we're talking about, reaping. When Paul's writing to them, he wants them to understand that the kingdom is not of this world. So don't hold on tightly to the things of the world. Let go and reap holiness Reap Christ's likeness. Reap the grace and the mercy upon your life. Reap those things and rejoice in those things. Oh, it leads to better decision-making. It leads to a greater enjoyment on this earth. You can receive physical things. You can receive gifts. You can receive new cars. You can receive new jobs. You can receive new houses. But here's the thing. If that's what you're looking to, to bring that fulfillment, it's not going to be long for you want the next upgrade. But when you reap holiness, it leads you to go, wow, what a savior. What a savior. So you wonder about you, who you're going to be. How life's gonna change for you? Listen to this quote by Jay Strack. One of my all-time favorite quotes from Jay Strack. You will be the same person 10 years from now, except for the books you read, the places you go, the people you meet, and the scripture you memorize. If you say, I wonder what I'm gonna be like in 10 years. You're gonna be just like you are now, but these things are gonna bring about change in you. But you're gonna get to age, Troy, how old are you? You 18? You're 18? You're 17. So you'll get to age 27 and you go, man, I'm young, right? You get age 37 and you go, man, I'm young. You get age 47 and you go, man, I'm still young. And you look at it right now and you go, man, are you kidding me? That's old. But you still have this mind of yours and the the same childlike instincts of yours But yet what happens, the spirit within you begins to bring about this change and you do mature, you do mature, but you still have the same physical body. 
So although that doesn't change, what changes? The things that you pour into your life, the things that you put into your mind. Listen, it takes time to sow and reap. I've heard this before, man, I wish I knew more about scripture. And here's gonna be my new response to that. Anytime somebody says that, what have you done about it this week? I haven't read, then don't say you wanna know more. Let's quit saying that, guys, until we get to the point to where we just pick up the Bible and read it. And then you, you, you take scripture, one verse, and just start memorizing it. Let holiness begin to build through the faithfulness of God working in your life as you take his word and you hide it in your heart that you may not sin against him and you reap holiness. And 10 years from now, that one scripture memory that you put to memory 10 years before led you to memorize more scripture and more scripture and more scripture. And 10 years from now, you're gonna be teaching people the word and they're gonna be, how do you know these things? And you're gonna say, it started with one verse. Started with one verse. One seed here, another seed here, and another seed here. And if you, for one second, buy into this lie that you are not smart enough or gifted enough to know the word, you shut that down. But relying wholeheartedly upon Christ Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. Which leads to the third. Are you sowing the seed of good works among the fellowship of believers? So here's how we tie all this in together. There's the value of the word, sowing the word. And then there's the value of discipline, living by the spirit, the Holy Spirit, instead of the flesh. And now there is the fellowship of believers. Verse nine and 10, and let us not grow weary of doing good for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are the household of faith. So how silly would it be if I went with you, Mr. Johnny Swilly and Mr. Tim Swilly, if I went and said, I want to I farm this week. I'm feeling it. All right, I'm feeling it. Put me on a tractor. You wouldn't do that. I know you wouldn't. But you're saying, hey, come on, let's, let's scatter some seed. We scatter some seed on the rose because I think that's how you do it. And, and then we look, we, we, we cover it up and we walk away. And I look to you and I go, I'm disappointed. I don't like this whole farming thing. You say, what's the deal? So all day long, we, we were sweating, we toiled and we planted seed. Yeah. Well, look. There's nothing, no plants, no greenery, nothing. What's the deal? You're not good farmers, sitting good land. I don't like farming. I don't like this thing. And that's the same thing we do with God. Same thing we do with Christianity. We say, I'm trying, I'm trying, but I don't see any greenery coming up. God, you're not good at this thing. Where's your faithfulness? Shouldn't you be working by now? Patience, patience. That's what Paul is pointing out here. Let us not grow weary of doing good for in due season, we will reap. If we do not give up, what do we take from this? That there are gonna be some dear brothers and sisters in Christ whom we think are followers of Christ gathered among us, excited about Jesus and they fizzle out. They don't want to have anything to do with it because God didn't meet their needs. It's not what it's about. It's about being patient and enduring and knowing that it's going to be hard, hard days of faithfulness. You're saying, I don't like that. Come on, tell me something happy. Oh, you can rejoice in the hard days. You can rejoice in it. When you're striving to follow Christ, but everything around you is saying, no, no. In the day of instant gratification and satisfaction, I find these verses refreshing, don't you? I mean, let's go to our MacBooks and we hit enter. And all of a sudden, what pops up? No, the rainbow will. There it goes. We're waiting. We're waiting. We sit back in our chair and 10, sec- 10 seconds later, we're on to the next page. And you know what? We're not satisfied. Mm. Mediacom, listen, hey, 
I just waited 10 seconds to get to the next page, get somebody out here and fix this now, right? I hope you don't do that. Like if you do, don't tell me you go to Perimeter Road Baptist Church, all right? But, but that's how we feel in our hearts, don't we? When we go through the drive-through and we have to wait because not everybody gets your food out to you in five seconds. And you're going, ha, huh, lazy people back there. What's the deal, right? We are so used to pushing a button and there it is. And so isn't this refreshing that when we read this today, we're saying you're gonna sow, you're gonna put seeds of righteousness and trusting in Christ daily. And you may wait a while before you ever see any type of harvest. I mean, I don't see anybody jumping to their feet and celebrating this cause right now, but I hope in your heart you go, okay, I'm tracking with you. Because similar to how we approach God in prayer, when God doesn't answer it immediately, and there's that rainbow wheel going on between us and God, we don't look to God and go, God, what are you doing? But we look to him and say, God, I trust you. And this is really hard right now. It's really tough right now to be forgiving towards this brother in Christ, or it's really tough to guard my thoughts in this right now, but I'm gonna persevere. And Lord, I know that I'm gonna reap something much greater. And you know, the joy is, is that sometimes you do reap immediate results, immediate fruit, this is wonderful. Then instead of lashing out at somebody, you show them kindness. And all of a sudden, what seemed like a stern, harsh person across from you, all of a sudden begins to soften and you're able to work things out. That's, that's immediate. There are some immediate things that happen, but what we need to understand is that as we're sowing, we should not expect immediate results. So what do we do? Oh, we rejoice in that we get to sow, that we get to walk in obedience. Continue to do good to everyone, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Now, it is important that we gather together and I am so glad to see you here today. And I hope to keep seeing you here. I hope we continue to invite and invest, but here's what I hope you understand is that we need each other. A fellowship of believers, we need each other. I need you, you need me. We're not called to do this alone. Can you imagine in the first century, these Christians who are gathered together, who are meeting hostility, what joy they would receive when they gathered in a household to talk about Jesus and to be on the same page about Christ. Todd Wilson says this, here's the bottom line. We will only prioritize giving to the local church when we're convinced the local church is the one of a kind institution it truly is. The local church truly is one of a kind. Do you believe that? Do you believe it? Verse one of chapter six, we looked at general restoration. Verse six, we look at sharing financially. Verse 10, the fellowship of doing good to those in the church. So let me ask this question. What keeps us from doing these things? Let me tell you what keeps us from doing these things. In verse one, what keeps us from showing general restoration towards others? It's a lack of holiness that hinders restoration. What about verse six, sharing financially? When it comes down to it, there's greed. And you can wrestle with that one, but there's greed. There are things that we feel it is impossible to, to give to. But when we look at it, what, what is it? It's the self-indulgence that we see in verse 10 that keeps us from the fellowship of doing good to those in the church. We become preoccupied with self. We talk about our life. It's mine, 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 mine. What I'm gonna get, what I'm gonna accomplish, but I'm grateful for men like William Carey who says, I'm laying it all down. I'm leaving England and I'm going to India. I'm gonna preach the gospel and I'm gonna sow seed. 
And it may be seven years before I ever see any reaping of people following Christ Jesus. I want to pray right now that we would be a faithful church and that we rejoice and that we have been given the opportunity to sow good seed and that we will rejoice in the harvest. As God, through his will, will provide. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for our time together. Father, as we talk about giving, that really causes us to evaluate our everyday life. And Father, I confess before you, I, I'm, I'm not foolish enough to know that I can convince man of what he should do. Father, I pray that through the power of the Holy Spirit, you would work in our hearts, that we would be a generous church. A generous church. That we would go home, that we would talk about it as family, that we would evaluate our lifestyles. God, that we would be honest before you that if we're not rejoicing in the preaching of the gospel and the gathering of the church together to do ministry together to See lives changed through Christ Jesus. Lord, reveal those areas to us that hinder us from being faithful. Father, I pray that we have soft hearts to receive this message. I pray for those in this room that do not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Today, as they have heard this, may it cause wonder within them of why a church would be so giving to this message. It's because this is the only message that sets us free as we boast in Christ Jesus. Save many, Lord. Move powerfully among us. And God, as we give of our resources, as we give joyfully, may we see more people follow Christ. And may we have the joy of reaping what we sow for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.